You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey there, everybody. We're driving home after a shocking Met victory. They did something that they very rarely do these days. They won a baseball game. It wasn't pretty. I was confident for 0.0001% of the time. But the New York Mets defeat the New York Yankees in 10 innings to win a game. And let's keep that in mind. The New York Mets won a baseball game. It was not pretty. It was not perfect. There were a lot of things that made you want to bang your head against the wall. There were a lot of things that made you want to jump out of your seat onto the field and cry. Uh, That emotion hit me a couple of times. But we won a game. And I said this on the air. I know I said it on the air. You win a baseball game. It's not going to fix everything. It's not going to make anybody believe, oh, we're back. Don't worry. See, it's all good. But it will be good for our baseball mental health, our sports mental health. And with an off day following this series, a chance for the Yankee fans to, you know, quiet down a little bit, maybe lick their own wounds, maybe worry about their own issues, maybe complain about their own things. We all get to take a big, deep breath because the Mets won a baseball game. Now, let's get into everything. Let's start at the end. So. I'm watching Brandon Nimmo drive a baseball to right field, and I could tell immediately that Jake Bowers has no beat on this baseball, that there's a really good chance it's going to go over his head. I never thought it was going to get out of the ballpark, but the way Bowers was going back on it, I felt like, holy crap, he may not catch this. And if he doesn't catch this, my assumption is, well, we win the game and we walk this crap off. So ball goes over Bowers' head. I stand up, I start cheering, and then I notice, yeah, what's up? How's it going, man? Thank you for being by us. You guys are a Yankee time. fan. Joe Beningo. Yes. Hey, listen, don't yes. break my balls. I'm not breaking your balls. I'm happy my team Joe, won. That's Evan Roberts, bro. He doesn't know who I am. Oh, man. Let's go, Jets. <laughs> Let's go, Jets. That's there you go. All right. Love you, boys. Hey, you're on the Rico Bronya. That's up. All the time. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good meeting you. Thank you. Did you pick up on that conversation, Hoff? <laughs> yes, I think we we'll keep it. In. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't edit the Rico Bronya. Are you freaking kidding me? If you edited the Rico Bronya, you would have edited out me calling people human pieces of crap, right? Wouldn't you have done that? <laughs> Piece of craps. Piece of crap, yeah. Uh, all right, nice guy, Yankee fan. I'm not sure if you heard that part. Uh, uh, he never mentioned Craig Carton's name, only me and Joe Beningo. So Craig, if you're listening to the Rico Bronya, that Yankee fan doesn't really like you very much. Um, I'm letting this car in because I'm a nice guy and he's waving at me. Plus I'm starting to realize that if I don't let a car in, 
I get a call on the air tomorrow saying Evan Roberts is an obnoxious driver, which, by the way, I am. <laughs> I try to be nice. I do try to let people in, but I can be douchey at times. I do admit that. I'm getting out of the lot. We're coming off a win, so I feel good. All right, let me get back to this Escobar thing. By the way, that guy who stopped me, I have to describe what happened. He stands in front of my car with his arms out, looking straight through, and that's when he screamed my name. So at that point, yeah, I'm going to roll down the window. We're going to have a conversation. But uh, it was very funny how he did that. Anyhow, I couldn't for the life of me understand how Eduardo Escobar barely scored because I see the ball drop. I have that second of thinking, well, we won the game. I'm folding up my scorebook. I'm standing up. I never stand up during games. And then I hit my dad's arm and say, this is going to be a play at the plate. And Escobar, who I'm assuming, because obviously I haven't seen the replay, I'm assuming was tagging up at second, which you really shouldn't be doing with one out. You should be halfway because you risk the fact that you may not score from second base. So it wasn't a close play by any stretch, but it was certainly closer than I think any of us would have imagined because that ball drops. You figure the game is over. Either way, Brandon Immo comes through. Mets win the game. A lot of aspects of this game. Uh, let me get to Verlander. So six innings, one run, no walks, eight strikeouts or six strike. I forget how many strikeouts he had. doesn't matter. Six innings, one run, a, a dominant effort by Justin Verlander. The problem is, and this is going to be the, the taste I have in my mouth that we're all going to have in our mouth, is that when the Mets gave him the lead, when the Mets went up one to nothing, Justin Verlander did an imitation of his good friend, Max Scherzer. He immediately gave it back. And so, yeah, you can look at this line and say Verlander was great. And Verlander gave you everything you could have expected. Maybe not enough innings. You know, maybe he didn't go deep enough in the game. But certainly six innings, one runs in 2023 is a hell of a performance. But the, the problem I'm going to have, and again, I'm not saying he sucked. I'm not saying he was bad. He pitched well, obviously. But the bad taste I'm going to have in my mouth is that as soon as the Mets gave him a lead and it was one nothing, he gave it up immediately. And he gave it up towards the bottom of the order. And he was lucky to get through the sixth inning. I, I got to be honest with you. I never thought Buck was going to pull him. He wasn't warming up his bullpen until I guess there may have been a couple of guys on base when he finally started to get warm up action. But think about the outs he got in that inning. Hard hit balls. The Stanton double play was hit hard, which was the ugliest double play you'll ever see. Escobar's falling down. McNeil's making the throw. It was just a weird-looking double play, but they do pull it off. I thought he was very lucky to get through the inning, and that's why. I don't know if anyone else feels this way. Lugie texted me this, so I'll give you his opinion that I disagree with. He thought Verlander should have come out for the seventh. And I'm saying to him, bro, I get that he's Justin Verlander, and 106 pitches, which I think was the number, is not nearly as much as he threw two starts ago. Remember that start where he threw 118? He was done. This isn't about his resume or about how many pitches he's thrown. It's the eye test. Justin Verlander was done after six innings. He was done. And like I said, he was very lucky to get through that sixth inning. So I get the Met bullpen blows. We get it. There's nobody that you really trust. But I'd actually argue with you that I'm going to trust Jeff Brigham and I'm going to trust Adam Adovino and even Dominic Leone, who came into the game and pitched well later. I'm going to trust those guys over a cooked Verlander, who 
looked done in that sixth inning. So, Hoff, I don't know if you're on Team Lugie here, but to me it was a no-brainer to get Verlander's old ass out this game. I agree. At that point in time, Verlander had to go. But my problem is this. Once he was out of the game, I just was waiting for the ball to drop and saying, okay, well, when are we going to lose the game? And that sucks. Well, and let's think about how they gave up runs and how Jeff Brigham gave up runs. Now, he does walk a guy. He does hit a guy. But you've got crappy defense. I mean, the Met defense between the Jeff McNeil throw, which gave the Yankees the lead. They had no chance to turn that double play. So McNeil was better off eating it. I don't want to get on Vientos because I thought Vientos had a good game defensively, uh, had a scoop of Lindor that bailed him out on a play, had a scoop of Escobar on one play. I thought Vientos played a good first base. So on that McNeil error, a part of me thinks Vientos should have made the play, but he made so many other plays throughout the game. I'll put the blame on McNeil. Then you have the Alvarez terrible throw on the stolen base, and then you've got IKF. And look, the the steal of home, I have to admit, I, I take a – take myself out of a Met fan's body. The steal of home is maybe the single most exciting thing in baseball. When you see, and again, I'm not sure how ESPN is showing this. I'm sure they uh, showed off their umpires cam, which everybody hates. Nobody wants to see it live. I'm sure they did that all night, but I'm staring down and I'm seeing IKF dance off third. And now I'm seeing him sprint towards home. And in that split second of what the hell's going to happen the steal of home, which you never seen. I'm talking about the straight steal of home, not the double steal and you steal home. That's a Fugazi steal of home. I'm talking about the Jackie Robinson, you know, Ty Cobb, straight up, I'm stealing home. But was anybody on the Met bench screaming, hey, Brooks, hey, Brooks, get it home? Because Rayleigh's taking forever. Then he throws up and in. That was just such a mess of an inning where the Yankees offensively didn't do anything. Like, think about that. The Yankees took the lead by doing nothing offensively. Now, they ran the base as well. I'll give them that, especially IKF. And then Anthony Volpe was a complete pain in the ass an inning later, which we'll get to, because that was uh, Major League Baseball sideshow part one. But the way the, the Yankees took that lead, I don't think there's any Met fan alive that thought we were going to erase that deficit. When you get a run on an error on a double play ball, when you get a run on a steal of home after another error, when Alvarez threw that ball in the center field, you're talking about the typical sloppy defense, the typical head-up-your-ass baseball that hands the Yankees the 3-1 to lead. Now, to the Mets' credit, they come back. Before I get to the comeback, though, because I don't want to forget anything. I have nothing written down. I'm obviously driving, though I am sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic. I'm on, uh, I guess it's Seaver Avenue, whatever it's called. I'm in front of uh, the K Corner. That's where I'm at right now. I've actually got my video up so Hoffman can see. You can kind of see where I am, right? You have an idea of where I am right now? I see a lot of lights flashing, so I'm not really sure what's going on. (laughs) Looks like you're getting pulled over. I'm basically everybody stayed, everybody's out, and the lots are just packed. Even though I'm not in a lot, the streets are just packed. But, yeah, there's police cars everywhere. I've barely moved, but that's good. It gives me a chance to talk and not be distracted by that whole driving thing. Anyhow, let me get to the, uh, the shit show that is Major League Baseball. So, Anthony Volpe, and I give him a lot of credit for this, and if you're a Yankee fan, I think you know, despite, despite the strikeout in the 10th, I thought Volpe had a nice day offensively. And he is an absolute pain in the ass on the base paths. 
He's fast. He's distracting. He got out of Vino to step off a couple of times, which put him in a tough spot because obviously you've got your two disengagement rule. And then Jeff McNeil does something, which I noticed at the time. And I uh, tapped my dad real quick and the guy sitting next to me saying, hey, look at this. Jeff McNeil is now holding Volpe on second base. And what McNeil did, and I'm watching this, I'm staring at this, is he's holding on Volpe with, I think it was Stanton was up at the time. And because Stanton's a right-hand hitter, pull hitter, it's not as if McNeil's out of position. So as soon as the pitch is coming home, he dances back a little bit to the right of second base. Our right of second base if you're looking behind the plate. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He gets Stanton to wave out a slider to make it 0-2. And the home plate umpire quickly points at McNeil. And I had a feeling I knew what was coming. Because McNeil's holding on second. So my question to my dad was, what's the rule on the whole shift? Because his foot's on second base. Now, I look, we know the shift rule. The shift rule has not really been challenged this year too much. So honestly, I don't know the letter of the law to the shift rule. It's a brand new rule. But the umpire calls McNeil for, I guess, breaking the shift rule. So it turns into a ball on Stanton. Uh, so I guess essentially a pitch clock violation. I, I had no idea, by the way, that was the rule, that if you in, had an infraction of the shift, they're going to call a ball. I, I had no idea, but you learn something new every day. But here's the problem. The whole point of the shift rule is so that you're not positioned defensively on the other side of the base. Jeff McNeil is not positioned on the other side of the base. He's got his foot straddling the base. He's holding on Volpe as if he's a first baseman. And then immediately, before the pitch is even thrown, is dancing back in a position. The, the spirit of the rule is not what Jeff McNeil did. Jeff McNeil, to me, did nothing wrong. And the fact that the pitch is being thrown and he's back in his normal position... I think it was absolute BS that the umpire calls a ball. And if it's not the umpire, then the rule is BS. To me, once the pitch is thrown, if you're in the proper position, there should be no problem. And like I said, McNeil was back in the proper position 
as the pitch is being thrown, like as soon as Adovino's coming home, McNeil's not standing on second base. There's no, there's no reason to. He's not holding Volpe on when the pitch is thrown. He's doing it prior to it because Volpe's dancing like, you know, he's dancing. I don't even know what you'd be dancing like. He's dancing like he's a dancer. He's dancing like he's in dirty dancing, whatever the description is. So I don't know what they said on TV, Pete. But to me, I think the umpires, and it was the home plate umpire, not the second base umpire, who's standing right next to McNeil. He's not even the one who made the call. It was the home plate umpire. I I, I didn't think they were respecting the spirit of the rule and the shift rule. I think that's uh, what the, was it, the five-inch guy, uh, the guy five-inch foot guy, Carl Ravage? Yeah, I think that's what he said, too, the spirit <laughs> of the rule. Uh I think he said that, but, uh, but the, here's the thing is right. You're, so you're looking at that. The second base umpire didn't call it. So, so if he's not calling it, how is the, 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 the home plate? I know that they both can see, but why is the home plate umpire focused on that? That that's, that's frustrating. But to your point, McNeil, the next play, by the way, tried to like hover over second base and he was positioning his foot awkwardly. Yes. And I'm like, this is just stupid. What the hell kind of rule is this? And not, not even what kind of rule is this, but what are we doing? Because this type of crap is, is messing with the game a little bit too much, in my opinion. Well, and think about this, Pete. It turned out not to matter because they got Stanton out, but it went from 0-2 to 1-1 and because of the violation. And then the next pitch was ball two. So instead of being ahead of Giancarlo 0-2, you're now behind him 2-1. and and if memory serves correct, because, again, I don't have the scorecard in front of me, Adovino came back and struck him out. So it makes it easy to forget about it and move on because the at-bat worked out well for the Mets. And it's almost like a kind of a footnote from the game. But I just think it was enforced badly. I don't think it was in the spirit of the rule at all. And it kind of bothered me that the umpires made that decision. Right. So, I, again, I think you're 100% on it with the whole spirit of the rule nonsense. But explain to me how they can pick and choose when they give out a ball or a strike. Because if you saw a little bit later on in that 10th inning, I think it was when Vientos was up. And um, they tried to quick pitch him. And not quick pitch, but, yeah. but Vientos was in the box at eight seconds. So he gave a warning to that? Like, why don't you give a warning to McNeil? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. So what they've been doing over the last, I'd say, a couple of weeks, uh, give me a second. I'm in gridlock right now, and i got to find a way to not block people. You know what? F them. If I block them, I block them. Like, what am I going to do? Um, when, this, when the pitcher doesn't make eye contact with the batter, what I've noticed is they have consistently given warnings. Uh, they have basically given, like, one warning each time. So that's been common that for whatever reason, that idea of not necessarily quick pitching, but not making the, the eye contact, they've given out the warning. I think you're right though, about the McNeil situation. I think it would have been fair to tell him after the pitch, no harm, no foul. Hey, you broke it. It's a warning. If you do it again, we're going to call a pitch clock violation on the pitcher. It's going to be a ball. I agree with you. I think in that situation, because it was so weird and also not, anything detrimental to the at-bat, it would have made sense for it to be a warning. You know, Buck comes out, of course, not typical. Buck did this all last year, and we didn't hate it. Now we hate it. He comes out just to have a conversation. Like, I'm not mad. I'm not mad about anything. I'm just sitting here comatose. I'm just like, what's up? 
Hey, what'd you do? Oh, you, you called it a ball. My second baseman's pissed off. This makes no sense. Cool. Thanks for the info. I'm going to go back and write my little diary. Like that's Buck Showalter. But McNeil was fuming. McNeil was pissed off. And my friend sent me a picture of the, the first time McNeil was holding him on. Yeah, you can make an argument his foot was on the other side of the base as he was holding him on. But again, what are we doing? That's not the reason the shift rules in place. And my point is, by the time the pitch is thrown, he's back into a legal defensive position. But whatever. I don't want to spend any more time on this. Adovino got out of the inning. No harm, no foul. Now let's get to Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo, for the second time this year, has made a boneheaded base running decision. And because the Mets won and Nimmo got the game-winning hit, and other than that moment, actually played a really good game, maybe that's another footnote that we gloss over. But Starling Marte comes through with a huge game-tying RBI hit. That follows after Nimmo comes through with a huge RBI hit-by-pitch. And I don't know why Nimmo's not looking up to see that Joey Cora, rightfully so, by the way, is holding the runner at third. Now, I get it. When Marte hits that base hit the left, we're all thinking to ourselves, wow, we're going to tie the game. We're going to take the lead. There is no way, and my memory is uh, killing me as I make my big right-hand turn to finally get away from the stadium. And now I go down that side street. Uh, I forget which street this is. Basically, I go underneath the Whitestone Expressway. That's my little secret out. I drive under the underpass or the overpass. Then I go through a few more side streets. Then I get on the Whitestone Expressway. So now I'm away from the stadium. I'm feeling good. Uh, so I forget who the base runner was that he was holding up. It probably was Vientos. Vientos. Okay. Oh He's not scoring. Cora made the right call. As much as it frustrates people when a guy can't score from second on a base hit, it was the right call. He wasn't scoring. But Nimmo, got, you can't have your head down running first to third. You've got to be aware of what's going on in front of you. Now, obviously, Nimmo isn't. He gets thrown out at second base, but does he? So let's get to MLB is an S-show, part number two. And that is Buck Showalter, rightfully so, throws the proverbial challenge flag. We all are watching on the giant Steve Cohen screen TV that Brandon Nimmo gets his hand back. DJ LeMay Hughes sort of misses the swipe. It's then close that maybe he tags him as his hand is hitting the bag after the initial miss. But to me, he's back. He's safe. Still a bad base running call by Nemo. Very nice. I think he may have done the swim move. The swim move to get back in. Buck Showalter rightfully so. You challenge that either way, by the way. Like at that point in the game, that's a, that's a must challenge, even if you're not as confident. So Buck challenges it. We're all watching it. He's safe. Like, Brandon Nimmo's given a new life, and we're set up with bases loaded, two outside game, Jeff McNeil. And when the umpire comes back, and it's not the umpire on the field, it's obviously the umpire's back in Chelsea. When they come back and say, call on the field stands, it's another example that replay makes no sense. Makes no sense. I know at times they're not overturning things unless they're clear. Pete, was this not clear that Brandon Nimmo was safe at second base? They tried like three different angles. Um, there wasn't one that was clearly out, but there looked like there was one or two that it made them look clearly safe. 
And that's that's what I mean. That's the problem. It's like if you have three different angles or four different angles, and two or three of them say he's safe, and one's like, "Well, that could be the one that got him." I'm leaning towards the ones that say safe. And I know the call, the play, the play of the field was in out, but you have to be able to use if you're going to be able to 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 be objective. I guess in that scenario. You have to use all the tools that you have in front of them. You may only have one camera that could be an out, but if the rest of them are are safe, then you got to go with the the majority. Yeah, I mean, I I thought he was safe, and you know, maybe that's me being a, a biased Met fan. I don't know. I, I I try to be fair and honest about these things, but he definitely looks safe. But then the other part of me said, you know what? He didn't deserve to be safe. I mean, let's think about it. Brandon Nimmo made a horrible base running decision. He ran his team out of an inning that could have been bigger. Could have been bigger. Probably wouldn't have been. I mean, let's be honest. McNeil's probably popping up the first base <laughs> like he did the next inning. But that was another moment from this game. Whereas a Met fan, you're saying to yourself, we are not winning. I mean, think about all the little things that we've gone through from this game. Justin Verlander gives back a one nothing lead. The defensive miscues in the seventh. The steal of home. The error by McNeil. Brandon Nimmo's running himself out of an inning. Like, so many little things that tell you this is A, not a winning team. This is going to be another night where they find a way to lose, and they're doing just enough things to lose this game. Uh, David Robertson gets into trouble. He gets out of trouble. Good job by him in the ninth. And then the Mets can't score. (laughs) And I think we're all also, again, thinking the same thing. Who the hell is going to pitch the 10th inning? You've used Adovino. You're not squeezing another inning out of Robertson, though I did give it a thought because they had an off day on Thursday that he did not pitch on on Monday. So why not? If you're going to ever push him, wouldn't this be the time to push him? Just a thought. Obviously, uh, maybe that would have been too much. He probably threw well over 20 pitches in that ninth inning. So he goes back to Dominic Leone basically because they don't care about his arm. They don't give a crap. I mean, Dominic Leone is going to be designated for assignment, even though he's pitched well the last two days, at some point, because the Mets are going to need to call someone else up because Drew Smith got suspended for the sticky stuff. So Dominic Leone comes in, does a great job, by the way. Kudos to Leon. I don't think I ever would have faced Stanton, despite Giancarlo not looking good at the plate. So once he falls behind 2-0, to me, it's a no-brainer to walk him. I don't think I ever would have faced him to begin with. But Leon gets through the runner on second situation. And here's the thing in the bottom of the 10th. So I want to put this out there so we all know. Mark Vientos has never, in his minor league career, laid down a sacrifice bunt. It has never happened. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Which is not a surprise. Mark Vientos is a slugger. So when he's participating in a triple-A game or a double-A game or a single-A game, there would never be a situation where Mark Vientos would be asked to lay down a bunt. So when Vientos comes up in that golden opportunity 
You don't let the team score in the top of the 10th inning. You come up in a tie game, obviously set up with a runner on second base. It is logical to lay down a bunt. Okay, that I know the bunt has died in Major League Baseball, and I get it in a lot of ways. But with this dopey extra inning rule that has been forced upon us that too many people now like, let's all be honest with ourselves. It makes sense a lot of times, especially when you're batting ninth in the order, to lay down a bunt with a runner on second and nobody out. I am not complaining that Vientos didn't bunt because I understand why he didn't. Again, he's never laid down a sacrifice in his career. What I'm complaining about is that in 2023, when we have this Fugazi rule of the Manfred man on second base, shouldn't it become a thing where everybody learns how to bunt? And look, maybe it's not Pete Alonso, because if Pete Alonso is coming up with a runner on second, nobody out tie game in the bottom of the 10th, he's the exception. Like he's the guy where you say, okay, I'm not bunting with Pete Alonso. But Mark Vientos, despite hitting a clean line drive single against Garrett Cole at 115 miles an hour, which earned him three games in a row that he'll sit, because that's the way things work with Vientos, you got to learn how to bunt. And, And so this is more a general baseball statement more than ripping the Mets for this situation with Vientos. It's more now that we live in a world in which there's a runner on second in extra innings, And there are scenarios where it makes a lot of sense to bunt because it's the bottom of the set inning and the game is still tied. I think 90% of rosters have to, they got to learn how to bunt. So it's not a Vientos thing, Hoff. It's a, in general, shouldn't guys learn this more thing? That's, that's all great. And I totally agree, but there's one obvious thing that you have not mentioned at all. Well, you want to pinch it for him? Yes. I mean, Jesus Christ, we're pushing Luis, we're, we're pinching Luis Guillorme at random times in games. You're not allowing vocal factor, whatever. That's the time to put somebody in who actually knows what to do with the bat, at least make contact. Guillorme, I'd, I'd pay to put Guillorme in right there. I think he knows it a bunch. So I think he does. I give you the positives and negatives to your point because obviously it's a good point. Just send up Guillaume, who's a better bunter and is the more accomplished bunter. Though, you know what? Do me a favor real quick. I want you to look up how many sacrifice bunts Luis Guillaume has in his major league career. Baseballreference.com. It's on the main page. Shift to the right. Go look at sacrifice. It's labeled SH, sacrifice hits. All right? Because I am curious how many he has in his major league career. But my guess would be he's clearly the more... um, of anybody on your bench, with Omar Narvaez and Daniel Vogelback sitting there, he's clearly the guy that can lay down a bunt. I'm trying to think who else. Oh, and Mark Hanna. Okay, Mark Hanna is the other guy. So I agree with you that Guillaume is the guy to bring up. Here's what scares me about this. It's the same thing that I think back to with Willie Randolph in Game 7 where he sends up Cliff Floyd in a bunting situation, and he had a great bunter on his bench named Tom Glavin. The problem I always had when I went back and forth about that is if there are two strikes on Glavin, are you still okay bunting? And if there, if you're not, are you then okay with, to me, a lesser hitter coming up and having to swing the bat if you're not going to bunt with two strikes? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Like, I want Vientos to hit here. Vientos had a really good at-bat against Garrett Cole a few innings earlier. What a great opportunity for him. 
I'd rather him swing the bat than have Guillaume having to swing the bat after failing to lay down a bunt, and now there's two strikes on him. So I don't know if that makes a lot of sense to a lot of people, but that's where I would have leaned towards. I want the bunt, but I also just want everybody to be able to bunt so I don't have to take, to me, a better hitter out. So, but this is a good debate. It's a 50-50 debate. I totally get the idea of Guillaume. Now, do you have how many bunts he has, sack bunts he has? Uh, it says SH, yes. right? Five in his entire okay. career. Five. I mean, it's it's something. He can lay one. You know who would I would have <laughs> sent up who's a better bunter, except he's not on our team anymore? Tomas Nito. Now, that guy knew how to bunt. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <sighs> by the way, what was funny about the Vientos at bat, so he comes up uh, not looking to bunt, and Anthony Rizzo on the first pitch is five feet away from him because he's convinced he's going to bunt. Meanwhile, Josh Donaldson, who's smart, is playing all the way back because he's like, he's not bunting. What are, we, what are we doing here? So obviously, Viento struck out. We know how that went. It was not a good at-bat. And then Brandon Nimmo gives us the win. Escobar scores from second, though he made it exciting. And we won a baseball game. Where do we go from here? Here's where we go from here. We take a nice deep breath. Uh, we're still four games under 500. The sky is still falling. I don't think anybody feels, yeah, I mean, we feel better, but I don't think anybody feels like, okay, we figured things out. So, oh, by the way, unrelated to the Mets, I am now approaching the Whitestone and there is bumper to bumper traffic. I have not dealt with this in weeks. I remember on a drive home a few weeks ago, you had warned me they were doing construction on the Whitestone. They were not doing construction yesterday. They were not doing construction two weeks ago, but they're clearly doing it today because, yeah, it's ugly. It's a bad scene. But you know what? The Mets won. So when they win, the traffic doesn't bother me as much. They do have the Cardinals coming up. As of now, Buck is going to stick with McGill and Senga and Carrasco. So obviously none of us feel good about the pitching this weekend. The Houston series is going to be fascinating. Again, they're going to have the big guns going. Our beautiful uh, our beautiful mercenaries, our wonderful non-crap-like mercenaries are on the mound in Houston against the Astros. So does any of us feel better? Do any of us feel better? Uh, we're happy they won. It's nice, but we still have a long way to go. Long way to go before I proclaim on the Rico Bronia, we're back. All right? That, that ain't happening at least. Uh, that's not happening anytime soon, that's for sure. Could I just say two things before we wrap up? Because a I, I one thing that really frustrated me, and you you overlooked it a little bit. The fundamentals are clearly an issue. Just just you know the the defense has been sloppy, but the base running has been bad too. You talk about Nimmo getting picked off, um, but also there was a double play where last year we saw I forgot who I think we saw Nimmo like lay flat on the ground to get away from a tag. This time we saw, I forgot who was running, but like it almost was too easy. Tommy he Pham. almost ran into the tag. I, yeah. yeah. The the fundamentals of this team suck. <laughs> so let's just be honest. I, I think it's easy to just blame the manager for that. And that's fine, by the way. I'm not saying you shouldn't blame the manager for it. Who else are you going to blame for it? If the base running is bad, and we've seen Brandon Immel make a few of those mistakes, if the defense has gone backwards, which it has, um, 
The fam thing didn't necessarily bother me as much. He probably should have froze. I think the result's going to be the same either way, though. Like, he's going to be out. The runner's going to be safe at first, which he was. So, I didn't go crazy about it, but I do remember the play you're talking about. But, yeah, there's a sloppy team. Uh, they're making a lot of mistakes, and when you make a lot of mistakes, it makes winning more difficult. And that's the problem with this game. This game was much more difficult to win because of how sloppy they were. And finally, I, you and I are on the same page. I, I they, they walked that game off, and I was like, I they almost blew it. I can't believe they almost blew this game again. And I didn't feel good about it. Um, but you know who did? Brendan Nimmo. They, he looked relieved. The team looked pretty relieved. I don't think the fans believe it. But if the team believes, or, or maybe they get something out of this game, maybe this is a good well, Win for the Here, here's the bottom line. We've had start and stops with this throughout the year, certain games that make you think, okay, they're going to break out of it. They're about to host the St. Louis Cardinals. The St. Louis Cardinals are not your dad's St. Louis Cardinals. They're not even our St. Louis Cardinals. They have been a bad, dysfunctional team this season. I'll, I'll be blunt about this. They got to sweep them. Like, if you want to be back, if you want to make something happen here, like, yeah, you could say just win the series, and most of the time I will say that. I'll say, hey, just go win the series. Go sweep this team. Now, the Cardinals have actually had a worse season than the New York Mets. They have. So despite McGill and Carrasco and Senga being the pitchers, despite the bullpen being undermanned with Drew Smith out, despite the fact that Lindor is hearing the booze, though they were drowned out by Yankee fans, cheering the fact that Lindor strikes out or pops up in a big spot, you got to go out and beat this bad team. And if you can sweep the Cardinals and get to a game under 500 and go to Houston, I think more of us will believe, okay, the season's turning around. But right now, it's only hope. That's all it is. It's just the hope that, yeah, this is the win that turns the season around. And maybe we'll look back at it and say that. But I can't be confident in uttering that right now, that's for sure. But a win's a win. The Mets won. Uh, I got to hear Let's Go Mets chants walking out of City Field as opposed to Let's Go Yankee chants, and we all can feel pretty good. We will give you another podcast that will post up on Thursday night, so depending on when you're listening, and that'll be about the could have been off season. We'll finally get to that, so you get that this week, and then obviously a pod after the series against St. Louis. We appreciate you listening and downloading Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.